Chronicles chapter 22, verse number 19. Uh, that's where we're going to be today. That's the, the verse that we're going to uh, emphasize. Uh, we're in First Chronicles chapter 29, as you see on the, on the material and on the bulletin and all. We have uh, 29 is where we're going to be in all year, but this is kind of a setup for that. We'll, we'll go back and, and uh, uh, put it in the proper context. But First Chronicles chapter 22, verse number 19, just the one verse. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise, therefore, and build ye the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built to the name of the Lord. Set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Lord, thank you so much for this, your word. I pray that you'd help us to indeed set our hearts. Lord, that you would uh, help us to set our soul to prepare properly when we enter your presence, when we come to worship before you, when we do anything for you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to prepare our hearts. Lord, I pray that you just... uh, Bless and all that's said and done today. Help us to gain from this. And Lord, there's people at different stages of their Christianity and they have different needs. Lord, I pray that you would just feed, that you would uh, direct and guide through the verses, through the uh, issues that we uh, speak about, uh, the uh, topics that are brought up. Lord, I pray that you would teach. You be, be our teacher and our guide and that you would convict. You bring that one that's not saved, Lord, to understand that they must be saved if they're going to miss hell and enjoy heaven. So, Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts clearly here this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look forward to 2019, by the way, we have on the uh, uh, guest services, we've got uh, these bookmarks and also the calendars for this coming year. You need to uh, take those, put it on your fridge, and uh, uh, put a bookmark in your Bible, and keep it with you all year year long, and and, uh, plan to uh, attend and plan to be part of the services. If you're not part of the services, it's not going to be, you're, you're not going to have gain much. But if you invest, you know, that's what you got to do. You got to invest. And so we're looking forward to 2019. As we look forward to this coming year, we want to see the overview of the entire chapter, the chapter that we're going to spend time in, as at least for the, the subjects of what we'll be dealing with this coming year in First Chronicles chapter 29. First Chronicles chapter 29. If you want to go ahead and take your Bibles and rather than having the, the uh, verses up on the, on the uh, screen, since it's the entire chapter, go ahead and take your Bible, open it up. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be Bibles there in the pews. Um, we just got some more Bibles that, are, uh, that we have populated there so you can read along. First Chronicles chapter number 29, the last chapter of First Chronicles. Let's read the entire chapter. This is where we're going to be this year with a theme, all in for him. So we're looking at uh, an overview of the chapter, and then we're going to kind of parse it out and then go back and uh, where we are this morning. But the overview of the year of the chapter is this, in First, Chron- um, First Chronicles chapter 29. Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation, Solomon my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender, And the work is great, for the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. You have to understand that this is uh, the last uh, uh, recorded words of King David. He's, He's moving off the scene. He's an old man. 
God has given him a great reign of 40 years uh, ruling over God's people, over the nation, enabled to do some wonderful, marvelous conquests. Anyway, here he is. This is the last of it, and he's, this is the last act that he could be part of, which is helping to build the temple. He's not going to build it himself. His son's going to be doing that. But he can have a part in preparing for that, making it easy for his son to build, for the nation to go on and build. It was more than one generation. By the way, that's the, the, the thing about God's work. It's multi-generational. Uh, we're, we're here right now in this time, 2019, where, where we are, where we live, but it's before and after we're here. It's, it's beyond. It's bigger than just me, just us. And that's what he's doing. He's passing off the scene. And he's saying, this is what happen- is, is happening, setting up for his son to take and build. So verse number two. Now I have prepared, David says, now I have prepared with all my might for the house of my God, <coughs> the gold for things to be made of gold, and the silver for things of silver, and the brass for things of brass, and the iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood, onyx stones and stones to be set, glittering stones and of diverse colors and all manners of precious stones and marble stones in abundance. Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the the holy house. Even 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses withal. The gold for the things of gold and the silver for things of silver and for all manner of work to be made by the hands of, of artificers. And who then is willing to consecrate his service this day unto the Lord? Saying, step up to the plate, sign up on the, on the, uh, the clipboards. We need help to do this. Verse 6. Then the chief of the fathers and the princes of the tribes of Israel... That's exactly what they did. They stepped up. They signed on the dotted line. It says they, uh, and the captains of thousands, of hundreds, with the rulers of the king's work, offered willingly and gave for the service of the house of God of gold 5,000 talents, of 10,000 drams, and of silver 10,000 talents, and of brass 18,000 talents, and 100,000 talents of iron. And they, with whom the precious stones were found, gave them to the tre- uh, treasure of the house of the Lord by the hand of Jehiel the uh, Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced for that they offered willingly because with a perfect heart they offered willingly to the Lord and David the king also rejoiced with great joy. Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation and David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in, thine, in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might. And in thine hand... It is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. But who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. 
For we are strangers before thee, and sojourners, as were all our fathers, our days on the earth, are as a shadow, and there is none abiding. O Lord our God, all this store that we have prepared to build thee in house for thine holy name cometh of thine hand, and is all thine own. I know also, my God, that thou triest the heart, and hast pleasure in uprightness. As for me... In the uprightness of mine heart, I have willingly offered all these things, and now have I seen with joy thy people, which are present here, to offer willingly unto thee. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of thy people, and prepare their heart unto unto thee. And give unto Solomon, my son, a perfect heart to keep thy commandments and thy testimonies and thy statutes, and to do all these things and to build the palace for the which I have made provision. And David said to all the congregation, Now bless the Lord your God, all these, uh, um, and all the congregation, blessed the Lord, I'm sorry, and all the congregation blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed down their heads and worshiped the Lord and the king. And they sacrificed sacrifices unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings unto the Lord on the morrow after, after the day, even a thousand bullocks, a thousand rams, and a thousand lambs with their drink offerings and sacrifices in, abundant, in abundance for all, uh, for all Israel. And did eat and drink before the Lord on that day with great gladness, and they made Solomon the son of David king the second time and anointed him unto the Lord to be the chief governor and Zadok to be priest. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of David his father and prospered and all Israel obeyed him. And all the princes and the mighty men and all the sons likewise of King David submitted themselves unto Solomon the king. And the Lord magnified Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel and bestowed upon him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. Thus, David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. And the time that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years reigned he in Hebron, and 30 and three years reigned he in Jerusalem. And he died in a good old age, full of days, riches and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his stead. Now the acts of David, the king, first and last. Behold, they are written in the book of Samuel, the seer, and in the book of Nathan, the prophet, and in the book of Gad, the seer, with all his reign and his might and the times that went over him and over Israel and over all the kingdoms of the countries. Kind of puts it in perspective here, the entire chapter, which takes the time of David's last acts of worship to his death. seeing that this was David's final chapter, he cuts to the chase of his existence. So these words mean something that he says. They, They seem to rise in importance, being that he's moving off the scene. He knows it. This is his farewell address to the kingdom, to his family. He's in his final chapter, knowing that he'll soon stand to face uh, uh, his God and face to face with eternity. 
He's not wasting time. He's not wasting words. At this point, he's not wasting pursuits. Everything that he does, he's doing for a purpose. And it's a defined purpose. Everything has come into extreme clarity and is using every last breath to make a difference. With such clarity, we'll take advantage of this wise and godly king's sincere straightforwardness to trace his steps and enhance our own. So this year, we'll continually refer back to these portions of this chapter, these main divisions of this portion of Scripture as we explore how to be all in for him. And the the different uh, categories of the chapter is, uh, number one, we're all in for him in consecration. This is our dedication to the Lord. This is personal consecration. And, And David does this by example. In verse number one through verse number five, he's saying, now this is what I have done. And he's personally consecrating himself. So we we, we see his uh, total uh, uh, committedness in his consecration. And number two, in cooperation. This is the willing teamwork, the camaraderie by all. And verse number six through verse number nine is all of Israel jumps on board and says, yes, let's do this. And they're unified and they, they get to work. They roll up their sleeves, having a mind to work and having a mind to, to honor the Lord. There's a, a cooperation. And then... You see application in verse number 9 through verse number 21. This is where they administer the service and the gifts and the labor, where they actually build the temple. And this is in their work. They apply. First, they, they consecrated themselves, and then they cooperated, and now here's where they applied themselves. So you see consecration, cooperation, application. And then you see their adoration or their exaltation of the Lord here. They're, they're uh, 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 loving the Lord and they're showing their, their excitement. It's animated by genuine enthusiasm and joy. And uh, verse number 6, verse number 9, verse number 22, where it says they, they uh, rejoice with exceeding joy to be able to, to, to honor the king in this way. And then lastly, their confirmation. This is where Solomon gets set on the throne. He's certified. The authorization transforming the the kingdom from David to Solomon. In verse number 22 down through the last, verse number 30. So we'll be visiting this throughout the year, looking at all in for him in these different ways. There's so many ways that that applies to a church and applies to to us here this year. So we're going to be doing that. Now last week, we jumped into this chapter in verse number one. You remember that? Verse number one. Furthermore, David the king said unto all the congregation, Solomon my son, whom alone God hath chosen, is yet young and tender, and the work is great for the palace is not for man, but for the Lord God. We, we said last week that the endeavor of building God's temple would demand everything. So David, first of all, identified the builder, and that was Solomon. He said, Solomon, my son. He clarified the building. He says, uh, for the palace is not for man, but it's for the Lord God. Hey, we got to understand what we're doing here. So he clarified the objective, and he dedicated himself, and the, the people dedicated themselves to the job. It's going to take everything for us to be all in, to serve the Lord like we should. Now, as we lay the groundwork for this chapter, we see that miles and miles of preparation 
and supplies were amassed for this project prior to this moment. It didn't just happen. He didn't just wake up one day and say, oh, you know what, we should do this. No, no, no. There was a lot of preparation, a lot of uh, gathering, a lot of uh, uh, building up the supplies for the construction of this temple. And although David consecrated a small fortune himself here in this chapter, and we're going to be talking about that in a little bit, but this was merely the cherry on the top of what was already gathered. David spoke to Solomon about this task back in 1 Chronicles chapter 22 and verse number 14. Let's, let's read that. This is what it says uh, as they're preparing for this time, for this day. 1 Chronicles twenty-two fourteen. Now behold, in my trouble, David says, I have prepared for the house of the Lord an hundred thousand talents of gold. That's a lot. We're going to talk about that later. And a thousand thousand talents of silver. And by the way, you got to understand what a talent is. They say, you know, different, different uh, uh, measurements. But they say that a talent is the, the size of weight that a strong man can bear, can carry. So that's a lot. We're talking about a talent. It says, the thousand, thousand talents of silver and of brass and iron without weight, for it is in abundance. Timber also and stone have I prepared, and thou mayest add thereto. He says, this is just what I've done in preparation for this temple that you're going to be building. Moreover, there are workmen with thee in abundance, hewers and workers of stone and timber and all manner of cunning, men for every manner of work. Of the gold, the silver, the brass, the iron, there is no number. Arise, therefore, and be doing, and the Lord be with thee. David also commanded all the princes of Israel to help Solomon his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And hath not he given you rest on every side? For he hath given the inhabitants of the land unto mine hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. And here's our text for this morning. Now set your heart and your soul... To seek the Lord your God, arise therefore and build ye the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God into into the house that is to be built to the name of the Lord. So let's take a look at this, what David prepared. Uh, Go back to verse number 14. He says, an hundred thousand talents of gold. Do you know how much gold that is? That would be three thousand talents. 750 tons of gold. That's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. That's, that's more gold than I have. And uh, anybody here has, I'm sure. 3,750 3, tons. Now, for gold going uh, right now at uh, $1,200, $1,300 an ounce, so at the low, the low estimate nowadays, $1,200 an ounce for gold, that means this is 100, yeah, it's a lot, $144 billion worth of gold. Yikes. Well, this is, this is corporate. This is national, okay? He's, he's the head of the state, and, and he's uh, building this, and he's using <coughs> the national treasure to build this temple. And he uses that much gold, and he's prepared that, and that's from the nation. And then he says, and a thousand thousand talents of silver, that's one million. One million talents of silver, or 37,500 tons 
of silver, which would mean at $15 an ounce, that means it's $18 billion. $144 billion plus $18 billion is over $160 billion worth of gold and silver. Goodness. That's a lot. Where did all this gold and silver come from? Well, some came from David's foreign escapades, his foreign conquests when he became king. 2 Samuel 8, 7 says, And David took the shields of gold that were on the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. And from Betah and from Beroiathai, cities of Hadadezer, King David took exceeding much brass. When Toi, the king of Hamath, heard that David had smitten all the host of Hadadezer, now that was more than Toi could do. I mean, he says, listen, if Hadadezer goes down, I have no, I have no chance, no prayer against David. Then Toi sent Joram, his son, unto King David to salute him and to bless him because he had fought against Hadadezer and smitten him, for Hadadezer had wars with Toi. And Joram brought with him vessels of silver and vessels of gold and vessels of brass. And he's saying, you know, this is just tribute to David, not because he was conquered, but because he knew he couldn't fight David. And he, so he's, he's paying tribute. Which also King David did dedicate unto the Lord with the silver and gold that he had dedicated of all nations which he subdued. So every time he subdued, he took the treasures. Hey, you remember when he fought Goliath? I mean, he didn't have a sword in his hand. He cut off Goliath's head. How did he cut off Goliath's head? Whose sword? Goliath's sword. I can, I can in, in my mind's eye, you know, the Bible goes over his shield, how big it was, and the, the brass mail that he had was so big, and the sword was so big, you know, like a weaver's being, you know. I could see this teenager, after he slays Goliath, eight to ten foot, I mean, you know, that's a big guy. <laughs> that's a big guy. And here's this guy that's now laying on the ground after he's got this, this uh, rock between his eyes, and he's dead, but nobody really knows that or sees that yet until he takes his head off, you know, and, and shows it to everybody. And then they, ah, rah, yeah, he's dead. I mean, they're all going, he might get up. I don't know, you know. So anyway, but he, he says there's no sword in his hand. He takes Goliath's sword. I can see this. Here's this giant sword of Goliath, like, ah, you know, and here's to that. And here's this big head. Oh, man, cool. <laughs> Anyway, you remember, you remember what the Bible says that night, what happened? He goes back to you know, King Saul, and they rejoice and everything else. He says, but he took Goliath's sword into his tent, wrapped it in a cloth. He took it back to his tent that night. Why did he do that? I don't know, but it was, to me, the, the amazing thing, that God, the miracle that God did that day, he's probably going over in his mind saying, what a great God. Me, look at this sword. Look at how big this thing is, man! What, what in the world? This is amazing to see God do this. It was unbelievable, and he's he's praising God. He's it's like a memento of his battle, and he took that that sword that was highly cherished by David, and later he brought it to the temple, and he says, "Put this in the trophy case. Put this in the treasures of the house of the Lord." You know how, you know, some, like our school, has a trophy case of, you know, uh, uh, 
volleyball or basketball or you know whatever that's, that we've won in some youth rally or whatever, and it's a trophy case of all of the... Here's, here's, uh, here's God's trophy case. And what it is is showing that... You remember Goliath says, you're God's nothing. I'm going to take you. I'm gonna... And he says, no, no. I, you know, I don't, I'm not anybody, but my God's going to do you in today and because my God's bigger than your God. And it was, it was a challenge and it was overcoming the, the Philistines at that point, at that challenge, because God was above. God was stronger. When, when God uh, overcame uh, the Egyptians back then, it was, just, it was a, a trophy to God's ability and God's doing. And that, that's what it was. And so he has this... this uh, weapon there in the house of God. Later on, when he's running from Saul, he says, "Hey, you gotta, you gotta. Uh, I need, I need a sword." And and the, the priest says, "Well, there's no swords here, but there is the one that Goliath's sword. That remember, you put it here in the temple a long time ago, or in the tabernacle then. Um, and here you go. You can have this." And he says, "I'll take it. There's none like that one." That's that's David's. Uh, uh, m- way he rolled that's what he did he would go conquest and he would he would take the treasures the, as the bible says here the shields of gold that were on the servants of this this conquered foe now shields of gold they would probably be shields of gold that were on uh, chariots or whatever and you don't have gold as a shield that would be ornamental that would be something that they put on their their chariots or put on their helmets or put on their their you know whatever uh, and it was ornament, but he, he took all of those and he brought it to the, he, and he amassed it. And that's what the Bible says, uh, which also King David did. He dedicated unto the Lord with the silver and gold that he had dedicated of all nations, which he subdued. And so he massed these things for God. And so there was gold and there was silver. There was precious stones from the conquest that he, he overcame these, these nations. And it built and it built and, and, and this was the national treasury. That's a lot of gold and a lot of silver that he dedicated to the house of God. And by the way, that didn't count <coughs> David's personal contribution. It wasn't that alone. That's enough. But he says, you know what? In the beginning of the chapter 29 that we read, he says, and my personal things. In uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse number 3, you remember he said, Moreover, because I have set my affection to the house of my God, I have of mine own proper good. Not the national treasury, <clears throat> but this is me as king and as uh, exalted, and they've given me this and this, and this is my, uh, my personal treasure or retirement or whatever. And he says, hey, I've taken out of my own wealth, my, my own proper good of gold and silver, which I've given to the house of my God over and above all that I've prepared for the holy house. And this is what it was, even 3,000 talents of gold. That's 110 tons of gold <coughs> himself. Now, he, he wasn't as rich as the nation, but boy, he was a celebrity. He was, he was wealthy in his time. And he says, I've given 110 tons of gold, which means about, in our, in our uh, uh, dollars, $4 billion. He says, I've given this gold of the gold of Ophir and 7,000 talents of refined silver. That's 260 tons or $125 million worth of silver. To overlay the walls of the houses withal. That's a lot of money. He could have he could have single-handedly built our wall. <laughs> you know, the wall that we can't get funding for right now, but just about, you know. I'm telling you what, that was a lot. That was, he, uh, that, 
it was, it was small compared to the nation, but it was a huge personal contribution. He was all in, folks. He didn't just say he was in. He was all in. He says, hey, this is what I'm giving. This is out of my coffers. This is out of my bank account. He wasn't just saying it. He was leading and giving, sacrificing, going all in for him. But David was careful to guide them in this life-challenging endeavor to prepare the people along with prepare the construction material list. And that's what he was doing years, uh, years uh, prior to this time where he's handing off the baton to, to Solomon. He's preparing for all the uh, construction, for all the materials, the, the gold and silver, precious stones to build this temple. Uh, but he realized he had to also prepare the people's heart. We read it back in 1 Chronicles twenty two nineteen. This is our text this morning. This is in preparation to get to where we are in chapter 29. 1 Chronicles twenty two nineteen says, Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise, therefore, and build ye the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God unto the house that is to be built to the name of the Lord. He, he not only says... Hey, you've got to prepare your own heart, your own self. But you remember what this is for, to bring the Ark of the Covenant. We'll, we'll be uh, dealing with that this morning. So in preparation for this task of building the temple here in our text, First Chronicles twenty-two nineteen, he says this. Now set your heart and your soul. So the first thing he says is set your soul. The condition of our heart, folks, is paramount in our service to the king. It's where we really are. It's where our desires are, our aspirations, our passion. That's our heart. See, the heart is the key. I was dealing with uh, uh, heart issues with our school and chapels, the last couple of chapels that I preached, was, was uh, trying to get our students to understand it's not in the rules. It's in... This relationship that you have with the Lord, it's your heart. Because, folks, the, I want to tell you, the heart is the key. It's not the exterior condition of anything that really matters, whether it be cars or computers or clocks or characters. The inside is the critical part. It's the engine or the gears or in a human, it's the heart. That's why Jesus emphasized the heart, Matthew chapter 15, verse 17. He says, they were talking about eating this and not eating this and touching this and not touching that. And they're, they're so concerned about defiling themselves by touching and by, you know, doing something that, that's, that's uh, uh, not sanitary. And this is what he said. Do, ye, do not yet ye understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth in th- into the belly and is cast out into the draught? It says it goes through your digestive system and it's out. That's not, that's not the important, that's not the major thing. He says, he goes on to say, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. They defile the man. For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. He says, hey, listen, the real defilement comes from the heart. See, the real issue, folks, is the heart. Where's your heart? 
What's your condition? You know, so many people want to uh, 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 exalt their goodness before God. Well, I'm not that bad. I didn't murder anybody, so I'm okay. I'm as good as the next guy. No, no, no. The way that God looks at it is a whole different... He, he looks right down, and, he, and he's got an x-ray into the heart. It's the heart that determines the scope of a relationship. All exteriors are expendable. You remember that song, You Don't Send Me Flowers? You Don't Sing Me Love Songs? And whatever. Those are, it's, folks, it's not the flowers. It's not the things. That's not, that's not what they were getting at. And you know that. It's not the things, it's the heart. Jesus' church at Ephesus left their first love, as he said, their passion, their zeal, their desire to serve him, to have that relation, their heart. And, and Jesus rebuked that church. He said, you've left your first love. They were doing a lot of things. Oh, they had lists, and they were check, you know, checking things off and, and accomplishing this and accomplishing that. But he says, hey, it's the heart. And you've left your first love. You see, because that's important to God. You see, Jesus said that if a man lusts in his heart, that's like adultery to God. If a man looks on a woman to lust, he's committed adultery with her already in his, what? Heart. He said that if a man hates Another in his heart, it's like murder to God. Well, it's not murder, right? you know, it didn't kill him. But no, no, if you had an opportunity, if you could get away with it. I mean, there, there's passion to the place to where you got that hate, and you, you would have if opportunity, but maybe you didn't. Okay, so you don't go to jail, you don't have a civic, but there's a, there's a transgression in your heart at that point. It's the heart that matters. If we're going to do something for God, if we're going to live for God, if we're going to advance for God or build for God, then our heart must be engaged. Hey, church, our heart has got to be engaged in the service of the Lord. The heart is so important. That's why in Proverbs chapter 4, 23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Here, the... the, the uh, uh, Solomon actually is the one that's penning these words, and he says, keep your heart. Guard it. Watch out for it. Protect it. Keep your heart with all diligence. Hey, it's so very important that you watch your heart. How are we, how, how are we doing there? Now, I'm not talking about uh, your relationship with your loved ones, your husband, wife, your kids, your parents, although that's a whole nother story. And by the way, we're looking forward to in... in uh, um, February, the second week in February when we're going to be uh, that weekend where we're having the uh, um, marriage retreat. First time, first annual marriage retreat. We're, gonna, we're looking forward to a great time already. Already a bunch have jumped in uh, to do that. That weekend, we're, we're emphasizing the relationships, not with just husband and wife, but then uh, that Sunday is family. Uh, Brother Rick, Rick Williams is going to be with us. And, and we're talking about love. I mean, this kind of you know, horizontal love. That's a whole nother, nother story. But I'm talking about in our, in our relationship with the Lord. That, that area. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Your heart is so very important. You're called upon to direct your heart. 
to influence your heart to righteousness, to to guide your heart to God and <clears throat> to godliness. <clears throat> you are responsible to take charge of your heart. Proverbs 23, 11. Apply thine heart unto instruction and thine ears to the words of knowledge. Here's the instruction. You're hearing an instruction or you have devotion and you open the word of God and you ask God to give you instruction. He says, apply your heart to the instruction. Hey, put your heart into it. You know, sometimes a, a coach will see uh, guys on the field and they're not really doing that much and they're not, not really getting after it. And they'll say, hey, put your heart into it. And what he means is everything you got. And, and he's talking about applying your heart. And we're to apply our heart to God's instruction. Proverbs 23, 17. Let not thine heart <clears throat> envy sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord all the day long, for surely there is an end. And thine expectation shall not be cut off. Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. A lot of instruction about our heart. Don't allow your heart to envy sinners. Folks, envy is something that is down deep inside. Nobody can tell. You can't see what I'm thinking, I'm feeling, you know? Sometimes you can pretty much guess at things, you know, and somebody does something and they're really aggravated or they go. You know, you can't see their heart, but there's evidences that something's boiling on the inside, you know. But you can't see envy. You can't see that's way down deep inside. And it says, you know, it's one of those things. You better watch out. Hey, believer, let not thine heart envy sinners. You know, looking at somebody who's not playing by the rules, doesn't love God, doesn't go God's way. They can do anything they want. That's what the psalmist said. Remember Psalm 73? You know, they said, they're not in trouble like other men. They're not, what he's saying is, they don't have to follow the rules. You know, they have more than their heart could wish. And he was envying sinners. He was looking at those outside of God's parameters and says, yeah, you know, that would be nice to be able to be able to do that. No. Let not thine heart envy sinners. Watch your heart, Christian. And he goes on to say in that passage, let not thine heart envy sinners, verse 17. And then uh, verse 26, he says, my son, give me thine heart and let thine eyes observe my ways. He says, hey, <clears throat> you better watch it. You better put some attention to it. You better, you better cherish that. You better protect your heart. And you should only give it to someone who is godly that will guide and, and direct. And you know that song, Every Christmas Last Christmas, I gave you my heart, whatever that goes. This Christmas, I'm not going to do that again. You know, like, give it to somebody else. You know, like, how about we do what the Bible says? He says, hey, give me your heart. Somebody able, he was instructing. See, you're required to, folks, what we, what we kind of don't realize here is that we are required to master our heart. We're required to control our heart. To guide our heart. Uh, I spent uh, one of the chapels with the kids talking about, the, uh, in Ecclesiastes, the Bible says, a wise man's heart is at his right hand, but a fool's at his left. Your, your right hand is your, typically the, the hand of control, the hand of power. You have control of things. It's over my right. I, I, I'm uh, directing it with my right hand. But if your heart is at your left, or well, that's 
typically where you don't have the control or finesse. You, you don't have the control over it. No, the wise man controls his heart, his feelings. His, he guides his heart. He applies his heart. He protects his heart. See, this is what the Bible says. The wise man is supposed, we are supposed to do that. We're supposed to control. We're supposed to guide our hearts. Your heart is your love, is your passion, is your excitement, your desire, not your work. Things you avoid and things you're drawn to because you just like certain things. I really love certain things. I love food. <laughs> I, love food. I, I love all kinds of food. <laughs> I love my wife. I love my motorcycle. I love, <laughs> I love a lot of things, you know, and, and I'm drawn to you know what? I don't have to. I don't have to pretend like, you know, because I do. I mean, m my heart is engaged, and see, that's your your heart reveals your passion and your excitement, your desire. Let me ask you something: Do you love the Lord with all your heart, all in? How about that? Are we all in for Him when it comes to loving the Lord? Deuteronomy chapter six, verse five. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with a portion of your heart. No. Thank you. Uh-uh. God says, uh-uh. No portion. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Put your heart into it. Matthew twenty-two thirty-six. Jesus said, Master... Or somebody came to Jesus and asked this question, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus saith unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all that... He was quoting this in, in the Old Testament. But this is New Testament. This is what we're supposed to be doing here. <clears throat> Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first <clears throat> and greatest commandments. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets... So your heart is that passion, that desire, that love, that enthusiasm, that craving that you have is because of driven by the emotion of your heart. When a person comes to know the Savior, he naturally loves the Lord. Oh, I'm so glad I'm saved. <laughs> I've been forgiven. Folks, you want to know what I've been forgiven of? Too bad. I'm not going to tell you. That's between me and God. But you know what? I'm telling you, God forgave me of everything. And I'm, I'm accepted. I am, I am loved. I'm invited into his family, adopted into the family of God. And I love the Lord. Man, do I love the Lord? I love it because I've been saved. If you never experienced that, then I'm telling you, something's wrong. You don't have that love for God. You don't, you don't experience that, that, that natural loving. For, you can't love him like that if you're not saved. If it comes natural to want or crave or love or desire the Lord and his word. If you love him, as the Bible says, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. I love the word. Oh, man, I love God's word. I love the Bible. I remember prior to being saved, I used to read the Bible like, okay, whatever, whatever, whatever. I don't see it. I don't get it. You know, and then after I get saved, I remember I had a Bible, and I actually did not read any scripture for a day or two after I 
came to Christ. I remember opening that Bible, that same Bible that I had after I got saved, and I opened it up, and I read it, and God spoke to me. I mean, he spoke to me from the word. It was really cool. It was like, whoa, wait a minute. He's talking to me. That never happened before. Folks, that never happened before. I didn't desire the milk of the word. But then after I got saved, it was like, wow, this is so good. This is wonderful. Hey, you got that? You can't listen. You can't have that if you're not saved. We're talking about loving the Lord and loving His Word. Psalm one nineteen one sixty seven. My soul hath kept Thy testimonies, and I love them exceedingly. <laughs> I love the Lord, and I love everything about Him. And you know what? It just came natural when I got saved. Now some things could get in the way. Some things could, could diminish that love. You've got to be careful about that, believer. That's why he says, keep your heart. Guard your heart. Protect your heart. Apply thine heart into instruction. Keeping your heart with all diligence means like protecting your heart, <clears throat> like in the game Capture the Flag. You ever play Capture the Flag? You know, Capture the Flag is where, you know, one team has a flag and you, got, you post it here and you have guards around that and you got to get the other person's flag, but anybody comes around, hey, keep them away from the flag. Hey, that's what we're supposed to do with our heart. Hey, protect your heart. Guard your heart. Keep your heart. So, and he says, apply your heart and prevent your heart. Let not your heart envy sinners. Guide your heart. So the first thing that he does, he says, okay, now we're going to be building the temple of God. This is an endeavor that will honor the Lord. This is what you need to do first. First, he says uh, in our our text, 1 Chronicles 22, 19, now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Set your heart. He says, hey, you you need to to set your soul. You need to, to, to determine that that's going to be the most important thing. You've got to serve God with your heart. So he says, set your soul. And then he says, seek the sovereign. He says, now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. You've got to seek God. How seeking God requires our attention and our focus. How does one seek anything? How do you, you know, if you're, if you're out to get something or you're, you're hunting for something, how do you seek um, just the other day, I uh, was on Craigslist because I was looking for a desk for the office. You need to go by the office. It's really cool. I got this, this uh, really nice big wood desk. Cool. And, uh, and he gave it to me for free. That's uh, better than I was, I was ready to pay for it. But he gave it for free. And so it's like, but you know what I had to do? I had to go through and I was, you know, checking online for desks and you know, this company has this desk for sale and this company. And then I was looking on, you know, Craigslist and going through, uh, you know, desks. And, and I was spending a lot of time. You know why? Because I was seeking for it. Did you ever seek for a car, an automobile? Maybe there's a certain model that you want or whatever, and you want to get your next car. So you've got you to uh, seek for it. Or whether you're seeking for a house or seeking for a mate or seeking for whatever. How do you seek for something? <clears throat> Some seek God like a crook. Seeks for the police. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're not seeking after God. And that's what the Bible says. A, a lost person doesn't seek after God. Actually trying to stay away from, trying to, trying to hide from, trying to not find God. Hey, 
What he says here, if you're going to serve the Lord, the thing that you have to do is first, he says, set your heart, set your soul. And then he says, seek the Lord, seek the sovereign. Seeking involves concentration. You look for him. All right? That means you're, you're searching for him. You're, you're trying to find him. Every once in a while, there's on Facebook or whatever, somebody comes up with this big, giant uh, screen of, of uh, eights. You know, eight, 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 and one of them is a nine or something. And it says, if you can find the nine within 14 hours, then you're a genius, you know. I'm sitting there, I'm seeking for it. What am I looking for? I'm looking for the nine, you know. What does the nine look for, you know? I found them, <laughs> by the way, just to let you know. <laughs> genius. Anyway, uh, when, you, when you seek something, that means you've got to concentrate on what it is you're looking for. <clears throat> hey, when it says seek the Lord, concentrate. Look for Him in your life. Look for Him in the situation. Look for Him in the opportunity. I've fallen into opportunity after opportunity the last several weeks of I really wasn't looking. I wasn't, you know, you know, searching for that. And God would throw something right in front of me. It's like, and then I'd have to wake up and say, wow, that's God. Thank you, God. I wasn't even looking. It's my fault. Confessing there. So you got to concentrate. you got to look for him. Number two, uh, you got to, uh, uh, seeking involves concentration and involves location. Where do you go for whatever it is that you're seeking? Well, the location, is, the location is important. Where do you go to find God? Go to his house. Hey, folks, this is his house. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 2, he, he uh, uh, goes through, he's, he's uh, how does he put it? He goes through his house. He walks through, he walks among his, his uh, candlesticks, which is his house and, and his people. What a, what a blessing. You go to his house. You go to his word. If you're seeking the Lord, then it's going to take, where do you go for the Lord? Well, you go to the word of God. You're really seeking God and you're not spending time in his word? I don't think so. I don't think so. No, if you really seek the Lord, you go to his word. Uh, and uh, seeking involves concentration, concentration, location, and observation. You got to look for evidence of his presence. Here's a, an interesting passage from Job 23. He says this in verse 3. Oh, that I knew where I might find him. He's seeking for God. He wants, he wants to have an audience before God. He says, oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come even to his seat. And verse 8, he says, behold, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. On the left hand, where he doth work, but I cannot behold him. He hideth himself on the right hand, that I cannot see him. But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. He's saying since God is in a different dimension, he would need to be discerned by the evidence of his presence. You can't see him with your physical eyes, but you can see, hey, he's here or he's been here because of his presence. You be observant of, of, of seeing the evidence of God all around you. So he says, set your heart, seek the, the Lord. And then he says, stop the sanctuary. First Chronicles twenty two nineteen, our text he says, this is what you got to do. We're going to be building this house. He says, arise, therefore, and build ye the sanctuary of the Lord God. That's what it was all for. They're going to build the sanctuary. What was the house for? What was the purpose of the house? 
to bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and the holy vessels of God into the house that is to be built to the name of the Lord. See, the purpose of that house is to fill it with the furniture divinely designed for men to come before the Lord to worship. What was the furniture? What was it, the ark that he's talking about? Well, that was that place that on the ark of God, you know, the ark of the covenant was, was a structure that God had built there and he, he calls it the mercy seat. Once a year, they would go and they would take the blood of the covenant, lamb, kill the lamb, they would take that blood go into the mercy seat and sprinkle it on the mercy seat every year. And that's where God would meet with man to grant mercy. On the mercy seat. He says, don't come before me without blood. You've got to come with the blood of the atonement lamb and that's where you'll get mercy. Folks, you know what God's house is all about? For us to have uh, have a relationship with God. How do we have that relationship with God? Through the blood of the covenant, through Jesus Christ and what he did. He's sprinkled the blood so that we can find mercy because of him, because of what he's done. He was our substitutionary sacrifice. He's dying in my place so that I could be adopted and I could be righteous by Christ's righteousness applied to me. And I could get God's mercy in this place. I can get God's mercy when I come before him to worship. Folks, that's what, what the, the sanctuary was all about. The ark with the mercy seat was a place that man and God connect. The whole purpose of this house is so that we learn how that we can connect with our creator, have a relationship with him. I found a friend who is all to me. His love is ever true. I love to tell how he lifted me and what his grace can do for you. <laughs> saved by his power divine. Saved to, to new life divine. Life now is sweet. My joy is complete because I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm saved, folks. I'm saved because I met God at the place of the mercy seat. Folks, that's what it's all about. We stop the sanctuary with what he told us to, and it's so that man can meet God, man can connect with God. I am so glad that I know the Lord. I'm so glad that I'm saved. I was in darkness. I just want to, just a short testimony here, and then we'll be done. I was lost. I didn't have a, I didn't have a, a prayer. I didn't have a desire. My heart was not engaged. I couldn't get it engaged. And I was, I was gone. I was like that sheep that was on the rocks, ready to perish. And the Savior left the 99. Amen. He pursued me. And he, he put me on his shoulders and he rejoiced. He brought me back here to meet with him and then be accepted. I found mercy. I found grace, and it was all because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, that's what this house should be, a place where man can connect with God. That's, that's where you need to be. If, you, if you're not born again, you don't know for sure that Jesus is your Savior, again, one more time, let me beg you, get saved, get born again. What you need to do, you need to repent of your sins, come to Christ, and you can this morning. 
if you just allow us to take the Word of God, open it up and show you this is what the Bible says about your condition. This is what the Bible says about what Jesus did for you. And this is how you can receive grace. This is how you can receive mercy. Right here. Let us do that. Let us do that. Every head bowed. Nobody look for just a moment.